Psychological warfare. Welcome, my friends. Welcome to another edition of the Corbett Report. I am your host, James Corbett, podcasting to you as always from the sunny climes of Western Japan on this fourth day of May, 2008. I'd like to remind listeners that you can find new editions of our YouTube documentary series on our YouTube channel every Wednesday. Last week's documentary about the We Are Change phenomenon has so far generated thousands of hits and landed on the front page of Infowars.com. I'm also pleased to announce that we have already reached our $89 fundraising goal for website hosting and domain registration for TheCorbettReport.com. In fact, in only five days, we not only met but exceeded our $89 fundraising goal. With the support of those five listeners who contributed generously, the website can now continue to operate for another year. A heartfelt thank you goes out to each and every one of those listeners. As promised, we've now started a chip-in event for a new microphone to upgrade our operations here at the Corbett Report podcast and to make our videos also sound more professional. In order to purchase a new condenser microphone for the website, we're asking for $100, which takes into account the $20 over our fundraising goal which we achieved in our last fundraising event. Listeners are reminded also that you can support thecorbettreport.com by getting a subscription to geopoliticalmonitor.com. And when you get your subscription, just enter J Corbett, J-C-O-R-B-E-T-T, into the coupon code, and you'll receive a discount on your subscription, and also a portion of your subscription will go to help fund the Corbett Report. But this week I am not asking my listeners to donate any money to me. I am asking my listeners to help We Are Change. As this week's YouTube documentary makes clear, the We Are Change phenomenon is under attack from the controlled corporate media and the politicians themselves, both metaphorically and physically. In order to defend themselves against the libel of the controlled corporate media, We Are Change is raising money right now for their legal defense fund. This week I encourage and exhort my listeners to go to wearechange.org and to help with their legal defense. It's only by standing up to these tyrants that we will have an effect, and We Are Change, make no mistake, is having a huge effect on the political landscape right now. For more on that, please check out the We Are Change Phenomenon article that's also up on the CorbettReport.com right now. And now, without further ado, let's get to today's real news. Today's first article comes from jonesreport.com, April 28, 2008. White House speechwriter turns violent after 9-11 questions. A member of We Are Change LA was assaulted and cursed at by former White House speechwriter David Frum during a book signing, according to reports. Frum, a neocon policymaker who is often credited with coining the phrase axis of evil, allegedly lost his temper when he recognized Stuart Howe of We Are Change LA from a previous book signing. Howe approached Frum to ask a question when Frum became angry and then violent, reports indicate. Frum told Howe, The one thing I regret from our last conversation is that I didn't say to you what my friend Christopher Hitchens said, which is, you should fuck off. According to Howe, David Frum then got up from behind the book signing table and swung at Stewart and his camera while he was phrasing a question about the unraveling 9-11 cover-up and potential criminal charges. Our second article this week comes from naturalnews.com, April 29, 2008. Merck plant dumps vaccine waste and chemicals into water supply. Merck, the maker of the very controversial Gardasil vaccine, 
has a pharmaceutical plant located in West Point, Pennsylvania that discards pollutants from this facility into the Upper Gwynedd Township publicly owned treatment works, according to a press release by the U.S. Department of Justice. The treated wastewater is released into the Wissahickon Creek, a tributary of the Shilkill River. A federal court complaint was filed alleging that Merck violated the Clean Water Act with various discharges that caused numerous pass-through and interference violations at the UGT-POTW. On June 13, 2006, Merck released potassium thiocyanate into the water that reacted with the chlorination at UGT-POTW, which resulted in extensive fish kills in the Wissahickon Creek on June 14th and 15th. The Philadelphia Water Department had to shut down its Shoalkill River drinking water intake for several days, and a health advisory was issued stating that all recreational uses on the Wissahickon Creek were prohibited from June 14th to July 10th. Then, on August 8th and 9th, Merck released a batch of spend substrate used in vaccine production which caused large-scale foam discharge into the creek. Later, on the 16th, Merck released a massive amount of cleaning agents that, when treated at UGT-POTW, caused another major foam discharge. Merck has agreed to settle the violations of federal and state water pollution regulations. Our final story comes from PrisonPlanet.com, May 3, 2008. Overwhelming evidence points to murder of D.C. Madam. Evidence is stacking up to suggest that the alleged suicide of D.C. Madam Deborah Jean Palfrey was in fact a calculated murder, as the manager of Palfrey's Florida condo reveals that Palfrey was not suicidal when he spoke to her Monday and told him of her fears about a contract being out on her life. The new testimony is backed up by at least four other recorded public statements on behalf of Palfrey attesting to the fact that she would never commit suicide and if she was found dead to immediately suspect murder. Despite these on-the-record statements, the majority of the corporate media has ignored each one and instead given credence to the unverified claim of a professional conspiracy debunker who has been caught fabricating statements in the past. sermon, you said the government lied about inventing the HIV virus as a means of genocide against people of color. So I ask you, do you honestly believe your statement and those words? Have you read Horowitz's book, Emerging Viruses, AIDS, and Ebola? Whoever wrote that question? Have you read Medical Apartheid? You read it? I believe... No questions from the floor. I read different things, as I said to my members. If you haven't read things, then you can't. Yeah, based on the Tuskegee experiment and based on what has happened to Africans in this country, I believe our government is capable of doing anything. In fact, in fact, in fact, one of the one of the uh, responses to what Saddam Hussein had in terms of uh, biological warfare was a non-question because all we had to do was check the sales record. We sold him those biological weapons that he was using against his own people. So any time a government can put together biological warfare to kill people and then get angry when those people use what we sold them, yes, I believe we are capable. Reverend Jeremiah Wright, Obama's pastor and a man of some controversy who has been in the spotlight recently, created even more controversy with these recent comments in front of the National Press Club. His ideas are typically dismissed out of hand by those who have done no research, based on the a priori assumption that they cannot be right. Surely the government would never engineer bioweapons to be used against populations, even their own populations. What a ridiculous idea. But these comments of Reverend Wright, along with many of his other comments, are hot-button issues in which people do not think clearly. The claim that AIDS could be a man-made biological weapon is inherently a scientific statement. So is there any scientific basis for believing this claim? Well, let's turn to Dr. Len Horowitz, who has a documentary available for free online on Google Video and on YouTube called In Lies We Trust. In this video, Dr. Horowitz goes through some of the dangers of vaccination, some of the declassified documents that show government complicity in the manufacture of bioweapons along with the pharmaceutical industry, and yes, 
even how AIDS was itself invented as part of a biological weapons research program. Let's listen to a clip from the In Lies We Trust video to illustrate this point. Historic records prove the secret intensification of the biological weapons race in America make the Soviet efforts pale by comparison. Here to prove it are three of the most stunning and condemning documents in biological warfare history. First is a never declassified congressional record of 1969 showing the Department of Defense requested $10 million to develop, quote, synthetic biological agents for germ warfare, end quote, through the National Academy of Sciences, National Research Council, that is the NAS NRC. That's nearly half of the amount of money given to all of biological weaponry that year. These new laboratory creations were descriptively and functionally identical to HIV AIDS. Mind you, this was 15 years before the contested discovery of the AIDS virus by this man, Dr. Robert Gallo, who, as you will see in a minute, oversaw Lytton Bionetics, the Army's sixth leading biological weapons contractor at that time. Bionetics also operated the entire administration of the National Cancer Institute's programs at Fort Detrick at that time as well. This private company was a medical subsidiary of the mega military weapons contractor called Lytton Industries. Lytton's president, Roy Ash, was Nixon's alternate for the national security advisor post he gave to Kissinger. In consolation, the president made Ash his White House chief of American business and industry. As Roy Ash was joining the Nixon White House staff, Kissinger ordered Admiral Sumwalt of the Navy to do a reassessment of America's biological weapons capabilities. The Navy has always been at the forefront of such things. Bioweapons were cheaper to make and could be made to target certain people, even certain ethnic groups. There is no doubt that Fort Detrick's sudden cancer focus was part of a greater depopulation plan. According to Congressional Records and his biographer, Time Magazine's managing editor, Walter Isaacson, Kissinger selected the option presented by Admiral Sumwalt to develop AIDS-like and Ebola-like bioweapons, and the contract went to his White House colleague's company, Lytton Bionetics. There is now no doubt that Dr. Gallo officiated the development of these AIDS-complex viruses. His group at Bionetics combined leukemia, lymphoma, and sarcoma viruses from various species of animals nearly 15 years before he was credited by the Department of Health and Human Services for having discovered the cause of AIDS, a similar retrovirus. They said this would lead to a cure, an AIDS vaccine within three years. It never happened. I managed to catch up to Dr. Gallo at the 11th International Conference on AIDS in Vancouver in 1997. I asked him if he was concerned that some of his experiments might have given rise to the AIDS virus or AIDS virus relatives that might have contaminated monkeys and chimpanzees shipped by Lytton to the Merck's vaccine division in New York for the production of the earliest hepatitis B vaccines. Here is the exchange Dr. Gallo eventually apologized to me for. He was obviously aggravated. Do you have any concern that your early experiments in taking simian virus 40 in the presence of simian foamy retroviruses uh, and recombining them with cat leukemia and chicken leukemia sarcoma viruses might have given rise to HIV or its relatives following their culture in human tissues and that these mutants could have contaminated some live viral vaccines produced in contaminated monkeys and chimps supplied to vaccine manufacturers through your affiliates at Lytton Bionetics? Quite frankly, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. I'll cite your paper, Dr. Gallo. If you can, you, you've, got uh, a paper, you've got a paper that I don't know I ever published. Okay. I'd sure like you to cite it. Would you begin? I'd now? be happy to. Uh, National Academy of Sciences, 1970, Gallo et al. 
Uh, it was an oral presentation that you presented before NATO and NATO audiences in 19, in Mole, Belgium. You, you published it. It's in the National Academy. So I'll be happy to show you the okay, paper. Stop, stop. I mean, this is, is beyond asinine. In Mole, Belgium, my first trip to Europe so I can remember it, a NATO meeting did take place. NATO meetings fund all scientific meetings all over, all over the world, even east-west at that time. Biologic meetings, scientific chemistry meetings, all kinds of meetings, meetings about motherhood, fatherhood, everything. And what I talked about in Mole, Belgium, was in the 1960s, long before gene cloning took place, before I ever worked in virology. What I talked about was cellular transfer RNA, okay? And this, that's, that's well, Mole, Belgium. Proceedings in the National Academy of Science, an SB40, I never published a paper in my life, an SB40, except the transfer RNA species in SB40 transformed hamster cells compared to non-transformed cells as a control. You've got pineapples, kiwis, grapes, and cherries mixed in with some other tutti-frutti. I don't know what in the hell you're talking about. Uh, and, and, excuse me. Tired okay. of this kind of nonsense okay. and crap. And Gallo and all were written by Onetics researchers, were your co-authors, in which you combined cat leukemia and chicken sarcoma viruses to, to create uh, to, yeah, to evaluate the okay, leukemia, leukemia yes. sarcoma complex all. models. I'm really smart. Yes, we did. It. Everything I mean, was created by us working in the laboratory. Look, just for those with some some little bit of understanding of this, who care about this. Uh, kind of idea. I've never, I, I mean, I've had a lot of things said, but I've never had anything quite like that one. There were people who thought and made postulations that, and uh, it was not, not actually directed at me, this is a good one, a new one, but that HIV could have been created in laboratory experiments. There are two answers to that that are definitive, conclusive, that no scientist could have deliberately created them unless he was a super genius and 10 years ahead of his time. The AIDS virus definitively existed long before molecular cloning. That's point one. Point two, we know the full sequence, the genome of HIV. It was published by our lab in 1985 and by a group from Paris the same, around the same time. The genome has no homology to any known existing virus in the world, except SIV discovered after it, has nothing to do with cats, has nothing to do with chicken sarcoma viruses. SV40 is a DNA virus that comes from little animals that can transform cells and culture, has no sequences in HIV. Further, we never worked with SV40 with those viruses together, and if we did, the whole thing would be irrelevant, and I think you need to begin with Biology 101 High School, okay? These documents, including the U.S. government contracts, best explain how AIDS emerged on two far-removed continents in black Africans and gay New Yorkers by 1978. These were precisely the populations that received the first hepatitis B vaccines produced in Lytton's chimpanzees just four years earlier. By the way, the man sitting to Dr. Robert Gallo's right is Dr. Jonathan Mann. At the time, Dr. Mann was the AIDS czar for the World Health Organization. Not long after Dr. Mann witnessed my exchange with Gallo, he quit his most esteemed position saying, quote, far more than a medical problem, AIDS is a sociopolitical imposition, end quote. I would highly recommend that my listeners check out the In Lies We Trust video on Google Video or YouTube, but specifically that clip there are some visual textual clues about Dr. Gallo's lies and misstatements in that confrontation with Dr. Horowitz that you just heard, which cannot be picked up in the audio. Again, you can find the link to that video, as well as all the links to all of the information cited in today's episode, by going to the documentation list under episode 40 on my homepage, CorbettReport.com. At this point, the science boils down to one of two camps. You can either believe that this incredible, unique disease, which has never before manifested in humankind, suddenly, in the early 1980s, jumped the species barrier from monkeys and chimpanzees into humans in Africa for no reason whatsoever, or, as some would claim, because someone had sex with a monkey. 
Or you could believe that this incredible new virus, which was talked about 15 years in advance in declassified government documents, was in fact created by those programs which were set up specifically to create this virus. For more information on this, I suggest you check out the YouTube video called Merck Vaccine Chief Brings HIV AIDS to America, which is also a part of the In Lies We Trust documentary, and features an interview recorded by WGBH Public Television out of Boston that features Dr. Maurice Hilleman, a leading vaccine expert, explaining in his own words how Merck actually imported the AIDS virus into America as part of their biological testing program for some of their vaccines in the 1970s. So I suggest you check that out. But for even more information, let's take a look at an article that came out recently. This article is by Alan Cantwell, MD, an AIDS researcher, and was published in The Canadian on March 29, 2008. The headline is, HIV AIDS was created with the use of gay men as targets for eugenic experiments, suggests U.S. doctor. And it reads in part, quote, There is no doubt that AIDS erupted in the U.S. shortly after government-sponsored hepatitis B vaccine experiments using gay men as guinea pigs. The epidemic was caused by the introduction of a new retrovirus, the human immunodeficiency virus, or HIV for short, and the introduction of a new herpes 8 virus, the virus that causes Kaposi's sarcoma, widely known as the gay cancer of AIDS. The taboo theory that AIDS is a man-made disease is largely based on research showing an intimate connection between government vaccine experiments and the outbreak of the gay plague. The widely accepted theory is that HIV-AIDS originated in a monkey or a chimpanzee virus that jumped species in Africa. However, it is clear that the first AIDS cases were recorded in gay men in Manhattan in 1979, a few years before the epidemic was first noticed in Africa in 1982. It's now claimed that the human herpes-8 virus, also called the KS virus, discovered in 1994, also originated when a primate herpes virus jumped species in Africa. How two African species-jumping viruses ended up exclusively in gay men in Manhattan beginning in the late 1970s has never been satisfactorily explained. Researchers who claim AIDS is a man-made disease believe it is much more likely that these two primate viruses were introduced and spread during the government's recruitment of thousands of male homosexuals beginning in 1974. Large numbers of gay men in Manhattan donated blood for the experimental hepatitis B vaccine trial, which took place at the New York Blood Center in Manhattan in 1978. Beginning in the mid-1970s, government scientists became interested in the health of gay men, particularly in the realm of sexually transmitted diseases, and specifically in the sexual transmission of the hepatitis B virus. By 1977, over 13,000 Manhattan gays were screened to secure the final 1,083 men who would serve as guinea pigs to test the hepatitis B vaccine. The vaccine was manufactured from the combined plasma of 30 highly selected gay men who carried the hepatitis B virus in their blood. Developed over a period of 65 weeks during 1977 to 1978 and tested for six months in chimpanzees, the primate in which HIV is thought to have originated, the first group of gay men were inoculated at the New York Blood Center in November 1978. Before 1978, there was no stored blood anywhere in the U.S. that tested positive for HIV or the KS virus. There were no cases of AIDS and no cases of gay cancer in young men. The first cases of AIDS appeared shortly after the experiment began in Manhattan. In June 1981, the epidemic became official and was quickly labeled the Gay-Related Immune Deficiency Syndrome, later known as AIDS. End quote. Again, I suggest you take a look at that article in its entirety. It goes through a lot of the hidden history of this 1970s hepatitis B vaccine research and the sudden appearance of AIDS in the gay community in Manhattan in the 1970s. As I alluded to earlier, however, this is a hot-button issue in which people do not think clearly and do not accept scientific evidence. Instead, this is a problem of paradigms. If you are in the paradigm in which you do not believe that the government ever could or would develop biological weapons to be used against its own citizens or those of another country, then you would never be willing to understand or admit the scientific evidence that shows the man-made origins of AIDS. 
An intriguing place to start would be a document which gives the name to today's episode, Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars. This is a document which was supposedly first discovered inside a discarded surplus IBM copier by an employee of Boeing Aircraft Company, detailing a secret plan developed in the Cold War to control the masses through economics, industry, education, and mind control. The document was dated May 1979, and it opens like this. This publication marks the 25th anniversary of the Third World War, called the Quiet War, being conducted using subjective biological warfare, fought with silent weapons. This book contains an introductory description of this war, its strategies, and its weaponry. Descriptive Introduction of the Silent Weapon Everything that is expected from an ordinary weapon is expected from a silent weapon by its creators, but only in its own manner of functioning. It shoots situations instead of bullets, propelled by data processing instead of chemical reaction, originating from bits of data instead of grains of gunpowder, from a computer instead of a gun, operated by a computer programmer instead of a marksman, under the orders of a banking magnate instead of a military general. It makes no obvious explosive noises, causes no obvious physical or mental injuries, and does not obviously interfere with anyone's daily social life. Yet it makes an unmistakable noise, causes unmistakable physical and mental damage, and unmistakably interferes with the daily social life, i.e. unmistakable to a trained observer, one who knows what to look for. The public cannot comprehend this weapon, and therefore cannot believe that they are being attacked and subdued by a weapon. The public might instinctively feel that something is wrong, but that is because of the technical nature of the silent weapon. They cannot express their feeling in a rational way, or handle the problem with intelligence. Therefore, they do not know how to cry for help, and do not know how to associate with others to defend themselves against it. When a silent weapon is applied gradually, the public adjusts, adapts to its presence, and learns to tolerate its encroachment on their lives, until the pressure, psychological via economic, becomes too great and they crack up. Therefore, the silent weapon is a type of biological warfare. It attacks the vitality, options, and mobility of the individuals of a society by knowing, understanding, manipulating, and attacking their sources of natural and social energy and their physical, mental, and emotional strengths and weaknesses. End quote. And the rest of the document talks mostly about the economic manipulation of society through industries funded by banking magnates, including some very bizarre, detailed economic models and diagrams. And make what you will of this document. Again, you can take a look at the documentation section on my website to find this document. It's another one of these documents, like the report from Iron Mountain, which appear out of nowhere from very mysterious sources and detail a lot of the operations of the banking magnates and the people who are pulling the strings behind the power, which are then dismissed as forgeries, hoaxes, or jokes. But one does not have to turn to these vague and unverified sources for their understanding of how the government is using biological warfare on its own citizens. For an example from a more respected source, how about the U.S. government in its U.S. Code? I exhort listeners to take a look at U.S. Code, Title 50, Chapter 32, Section 1520. Quote, Prohibited Activities The Secretary of Defense may not conduct, directly or by contract, 1. Any test or experiment involving the use of a chemical agent or biological agent on a civilian population, or... 2. Any other testing of a chemical agent or biological agent on human subjects. b. Exceptions. Subject to subsections C, D, and E of this section, the prohibition in subsection A of this section does not apply to a test or experiment carried out for any of the following purposes. 1. Any peaceful purpose that is related to a medical, therapeutic, pharmaceutical, agricultural, industrial, or research activity. 2. Any purpose that is directly related to protection against toxic chemicals or biological weapons and agents. 3. Any law enforcement purpose, including any purpose related to riot control. That's right, it's actually in the U.S. Code that the U.S. government, directed by the Secretary of Defense, can actually order human testing of biological and chemical agents. 
Or for another source on this, let's turn to a document which some of my listeners will already be familiar with, entitled Rebuilding America's Defenses, which was put out by the Project for a New American Century, a neoconservative think tank, in September 2000, and made the bold proposal that it would require a catalyzing event like a new Pearl Harbor to get the public behind projecting American defense around the world for another century. And then, not surprisingly, uh, several months after the neocons got into power, that catalyzing event happened. Wow, imagine that. Well, elsewhere in that document, that infamous document, on page 60, you find this quote. And remember, this was signed off on by major neocons all the way up to Vice President Dick Cheney. Quote, Advanced forms of biological warfare that can target specific genotypes may transform biological warfare from the realm of terror to a politically useful tool, end quote. Now, the fact that the U.S. government and the U.S. military specifically has tested biological agents on members of the military is nothing new. People who are not familiar with at least this basic history would be encouraged to take a look at information related to the atomic soldiers of World War II or declassified government operations like Project Shad. A particularly revealing article in this regard was put out by Heather Wolkush on globalresearch.ca on March 14, 2008, under the headline, Breaking the Nuremberg Code, the U.S. Military's Human Testing Program Returns. But today's episode is not about military testing, which is disgusting and reprehensible enough in and of itself. Today we're talking about testing on civilian subjects without prior consent or knowledge. Examples of this abound in the literature, and for some examples of this, I suggest my listeners check out a story from whatreallyhappened.com entitled, A Short History of U.S. Government Respect for Human Life. There are hundreds of examples cited in that article of the sickening things done to ordinary men, women, and children without their knowledge or consent in the name of medical science. A representative example of that is this entry from 1941. Researchers give 800 poverty-stricken pregnant women at a Vanderbilt University prenatal clinic cocktails, including radioactive iron, in order to determine the iron requirements of pregnant women. Or this one, 1957 to 1964. As part of MKUltra, the CIA pays McGill University Department of Psychiatry founder Dr. D. Ewan Cameron $69,000 to perform LSD studies and potentially lethal experiments on Canadians being treated for minor disorders like postpartum depression and anxiety at the Allen Memorial Institute, which houses the psychiatry department of the Royal Victoria Hospital in Montreal. The CIA encourages Dr. Cameron to fully explore his psychic driving concept of correcting madness through completely erasing one's memory and rewriting the psyche. These driving experiments involve putting human test subjects into drug, electroshock, and sensory deprivation-induced vegetative states for up to three months, and then playing tape loops of noise or simple repetitive statements for weeks or months in order to rewrite the erased psyche. Dr. Cameron also gives human test subjects paralytic drugs and electroconvulsive therapy 30 to 40 times as part of his experiments. Most of Dr. Cameron's test subjects suffer permanent damage as a result of his work. Or even this entry from 1975... The virus section of Fort Detrick Center for Biological Warfare Research is renamed the Frederick Cancer Research Facilities and placed under the supervision of the National Cancer Institute. It is here that a special virus cancer program is initiated by the U.S. Navy, purportedly to develop cancer-causing viruses. It is also here that retrovirologists isolate a virus to which no immunity exists. It is later named HTLV, Human T-Cell Leukemia Virus. Again, there are literally hundreds of examples from that article, and I truly suggest that people check that out and also check out other links to information about some of the human testing of biological warfare and chemical agents used in the name of medical research. I think what we have here is a case very much like Webster Tarpley's assertion in episode 20 of The Corporate Report 
that you can deny the veracity or the validity of a few of these claims taken out of context. But when you have hundreds of them all together, all tending towards the same thing, then we have something at work which is larger and perhaps is actually attempting to bring about the death and destruction of some of the citizens involved in these tests. So what is the driving ideology behind a lot of these government-sponsored experiments on some of the poorest and most downtrodden in our society? The answer is simple, and it's one that we've looked at in previous episodes of The Corbett Report in some detail. Eugenics. Again, we come back to eugenics. What is typically taken to be the Nazi master race philosophy but was in fact developed by British and American scientists with foundation funding in the early 1900s. Listeners who haven't heard my earlier podcasts on eugenics are exhorted to check out at least episode 28, Eugenics Never Really Went Away. It's clear that eugenics went underground in the 1940s, after the Nazis had exposed their disgusting philosophy. It then became a quiet war, one that required the deployment of silent weapons. And what has been the most prized and trusted silent weapon of these eugenicists? Vaccines. Okay. All right, let me just start this. Uh, My best friend was a comedian. His name was Bill Hicks. He died of pancreatic cancer in 94. I like, I've had like lots of vaccines. Now you're telling me this thing about vaccines. Story. Well, Kevin, it's not my opinion. It's it's not a conspiracy theory. It's it's a fact. It's a program of slavery. We have an orderly extermination of the world's population going on right now. You go back to the establishment in ancient history, the feudal lords, no matter if they were Japanese or British, they had this this idea, this view of the population that we were the equivalent of cockroaches. Uh, from generations of malnourishment, serfs were literal foot shorter, feet shorter uh, than their masters. And then you look at Prince Philip, the founder of the World Wildlife Fund, the father of Prince Charles, wife of Queen Elizabeth, saying that he wants to come back reincarnated as a virus to kill 80% of the world's population. And it goes further. We have the UN documents that they want to reduce world population from six and a quarter billion down to 500 million. What's going on here? I mean, they've made these statements. Well, in the last eight years, I've researched the government documents, the bills, the executive orders, the news stories, the scientific reports. I have hundreds of them on my website, infowars.com, uh, in the info link section. So it's not my opinion. What I'm about to tell you is true, is proven, is demonstrated. In fact, just a month ago, in the San Francisco Chronicle, mainstream newspaper, uh, 60 scientists met in Chicago, esteemed scientists in their fields, to announce that the viruses are permeating the vaccine supply, and namely cancer viruses. And there's worse news. They're spreading. You don't have to get a vaccine to contract the cancer to develop the cancer. All you have to do is be around somebody who took one of these vaccines. And this is the San Francisco Chronicle. I've never seen the San Francisco Chronicle write a 30-page story, but it was it was 30 pages long. And I commend them for it. Now they're on a real issue. Now they're talking about something serious, not how somebody on the police department had a sex change. And the reports are everywhere. You know, people may be minions of the establishment. They may believe in big government and this system. But when their son or daughter who's 15 dies of some cancer, which 30 years ago it was unheard of for someone, you know, under the age of 80 to get, and we have all these new cancers developing and spreading across the world's population, we know we have a problem. I mean, I've interviewed Dr. Gallo, the inventor of the AIDS virus, uh, the HIV virus, on my radio show. He doesn't even deny it. We have the documents from Fort Detrick, Maryland, Biological Weapons Lab, where they were funded uh, by Congress to develop this in the late 60s, early 70s, and then it exploded in the early 80s. And there are the other reports uh, out of Africa and other third world regions that are comprised of third world nations where the UN, 10 years ago, started a program to vaccinate for 
tetanus, you know, lockjaw. Sounds reasonable. I don't want tetanus. I don't want lockjaw. I step on a nail. But sure was loving and compassionate at the UN to get all this money and go around and inject people. But there was a couple problems. They only decided to inject women because, you know, they're, they're trendy and cool and care about women. They want to take good care of you women after they sterilize you and give you cancer. And that was that the tetanus shots were only given to women. The program over 10 years, hundreds of millions of dollars, wasn't for men, it was just for women. And then something strange happened. They did this in 130 countries. And in every country, women who took the shot became sterilized. How did this happen? Well, they found out that the vaccine supply had a female hormone added to the tetanus vaccine. So the body didn't just create antibodies against the tetanus, it created antibodies against that female hormone that's needed to bring a pregnancy to term. You can't have your child without it. You can get pregnant, but you're going to have a miscarriage in the first month. And when the UN got caught doing this, he said, you know, we're really sorry that the vaccine got contaminated with this female hormone. We don't know how this happened. And then the researchers came out and said, said, wait a minute. Wait just a minute. You had 100 manufacturers of this vaccine around the world for the 130 countries. Did all 100 manufacturers accidentally add this very expensive female hormone to the vaccines. This doesn't just occur naturally. So again, another smoking gun. And that's what I like to use because we see the male sperm count across the world down by 50%. Uh, we see women in droves who are infertile and can't have children. It's about population control. And they told us they would do it to us. And you may laugh at me now. You may feel powerless. You may not care. You may not think it's true. Fine. When you're dying at 30 years old of cancer, or 50, or your brother, your sister, your, your parent, just remember, I told you, and you could have gone and researched it, you could have spoken out about this modern holocaust. And you could say, well, our government, the United States government wouldn't do this, the Canadian government wouldn't do this, the UN wouldn't do this, they're you know, these big uh, beneficent helpers. Well, did you know that almost every Nazi scientist was brought into this country to World War II? through Operation Paperclip in the Rat Line? Did you know that they allowed men, black men to die of syphilis over 40 years in the Tuskegee experiment? In 1968, they admit they released a biological weapon in the New York subway system as a test. Deaths resulted, deaths, but details remain classified. I can go on for 15 hours, but since this is for the web at sacredcow.com, I don't have time. Uh, I would just suggest to all of you out there that you check out what I'm saying, find out it's 100% true, and then ask yourselves, gee, why is my world government injecting me uh, with uh, cancer viruses? And then just remember, among other things, sterilization as well, just remember that if you're a 30-year-old person, you've got an average of five vaccines growing up. The average American in the United States is getting 35 vaccines that are mandatory to go to school, the government school, the government training camp. So go ahead and take your cancer viruses and enjoy your death because, you know, I'm making all this up because you're not going to take time out to check it out. So, again, enjoy death. Enjoy your cancer, whether it's bone cancer, brain cancer, pancreatic cancer, lung cancer. Just enjoy your death. And uh, remember, world government loves you because the TV says so. Goodbye. Oh, what hyperbole, Mr. Jones. Of course it's not true that there are a bunch of crazed eugenicists running things at the very top who donate billions of dollars in all of their lives to trying to eradicate the useless eaters from the gene pool. That's just garbage. Ted Turner repeats calls for population curb. PrisonPlanet.com, Monday, April 28, 2008. Quote, Billionaire globalist Ted Turner, who earlier this month predicted that global warming would eventually lead to cannibalism, has repeated his call to curb population growth, claiming that disappearing farmland will cause food riots, despite the fact that Turner himself is behind the push to grow corn-based ethanol, an industry the UN has blamed for food shortages and increased poverty. We're too many people. That's why we have global warming, he said. Too many people are using too much stuff adding that on a voluntary basis, 
Everybody in the world got to pledge to themselves that one or two children is it. Turner himself failed to live up to such a pledge, having fathered five children, but continues to lecture the rest of us on how we should limit our procreation. Some would find Turner's zeal to thin the human population hard to reconcile with his leadership of a UN initiative to combat malaria. When one considers Turner's past comments about the supposed need to drastically cut world population levels by up to 95%, his involvement in any kind of program run run under the guise of improving health in third world countries should be examined with severe caution. A total population of 250 to 300 million people, a 95% decline from present levels would be ideal, Turner stated in 1996. End quote. Bill and Melinda Gates and Ted Turner donate $78 million to accelerate the campaign to eradicate polio by end of 2000. December 8, 1999, GatesFoundation.org. The World Health Organization, Rotary International, and the United Nations Children's Fund today announced that the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation will provide U.S. $50 million along with U.S. $28 million from Ted Turner's United Nations Foundation in a unique partnership to support the accelerated efforts to eradicate polio by the end of the year 2000. These grants will help vaccinate millions of children during mass immunization campaigns that are the backbone of the efforts to end the dreaded disease. The Gates-Turner donations will primarily be used to strengthen the vaccine delivery infrastructure and to track where the disease is occurring. The two philanthropists encouraged the private and public sectors to match these gifts to ensure the next step of delivering the actual polio vaccine to children in developing nations is realized. End quote. Aboriginal children injected with leprosy. April 15, 2008. News.com.au Aboriginal children were injected with leprosy treatments in a medical testing program that used members of the stolen generation as guinea pigs, a Senate committee has heard. Green Senator Bob Brown said he was shocked and alarmed by the claims heard today by the Senate Legal and Constitutional Committee's inquiry into his Stolen Generation Compensation Bill 2008. On the first day of hearings in Darwin today, Kathleen Mills from the Stolen Generations Alliance said the public did not know the full extent of what happened to some children and efforts to obtain records that support the claims, such as that children were injected with serums to gauge their reaction to the medication, had been hampered, she said. These are the things that have not been spoken about, Miss Mills told the inquiry. End quote. No, there's nothing going on here with vaccines. They're all above board, and I think you should take whatever the government wants to give you. And definitely don't look into the Population Council, which we talked about in episode 26, Meet the Rockefellers, which was, of course, headed by that eugenicist John D. Rockefeller III. Don't look at their website online to find a cautionary view of anti-fertility vaccines letter that talks about the Population Council's efforts to create an anti-fertility vaccine. Because, no, these eugenicists write in all of their materials about how they dream about culling the human population by 95% and killing billions of people, but they don't really mean it, and they certainly wouldn't use their money or influence to make it happen. That's a conspiracy theory. But it's apparent that this investigation will have to be given its proper time and place, and we'll have to devote an entire episode of the Corbett Report in the future about the eugenicist vaccination silent weapon. But of course, vaccines are extremely invasive, and people are more and more refusing to take them. So perhaps vaccines are outliving their usefulness as silent weapons in the quiet war that the eugenicists are raging against us. What then has arisen to take its place? last weather segment. This is inevitably military or something going on. The government, the Air Force, they send out what's known as CHAP, and it's a way to experiment with the radar system. And when you see this kind of a pattern like this, you can rest assured there's something going on. They're actually little bitty magnetic and little bitty strips of, whether it's aluminum, you know, they, they change it. But what happens is the radar deflects off of all these little pieces and they use it actually as a jamming mechanism for radar in warfare, but it can also jam our radar and make rain appear that there really is no rain out there. Later on tomorrow, there could be a few... What? Did that weatherman just say that the U.S. military was spraying the skies with some sort of metallic chaff? 
We did pick up, as Don mentioned, a trace at the airport over the last 24 hours. But as we take a closer look, notice this looks a little funny. It's elongated across parts of southern Dade County into the Florida Bay and off into the Straits. This is what we call CHAP. And what happens here, military jets, some come out of Key West Air Force Base, and they move off into the atmosphere, and they drop mylar strips, which some are coated. And if we can come back to me on camera, they're about the size of this piece of paper, and they vary in size. Some could be a little wider. Some are small glass fibers that are coated in aluminum. And what the Air Force does is they take their military jets and they dump these out of the aircraft. They fall in the atmosphere, and some take as much to a day to fall down. And it's to confuse enemy radar. And they use these training exercises to, again, confuse that radar to make these little blobs appear. And it has been proven that back in operations of the Balkans and also the Gulf War, that this has saved many pilots' lives. So, Don, it's a nuisance to you and I to determine what's real and what's not, but it looks like it is a life-saving operation there from the military. Indeed. Well, that's our job here, to separate chaff from the rain. That's right. All right. Thank you, Trent. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. All right. We've got partly cloudy evening in Perrine. As we yes, I guess that's precisely what he's saying. Well, as my listeners have probably no doubt heard already, there is a phenomenon around the world that's taking place at the moment that the corporate-controlled media is still officially denying the existence of, although it's plain to anyone with two eyes in their head, or maybe even just one. And that is chemtrails. This is a phenomenon that many researchers claim started around 1996 when contrails, condensation trails from the back of jets, which naturally form behind large jet aircraft, stopped dissipating within minutes as they had hitherto done in the entire history of aviation and started hanging around for hours and diffusing into large clouds. This is a phenomenon that's been well documented but is only now starting to break into the mainstream media just so that they can deny it. Now, one of the first instances of this in the mainstream controlled corporate media comes from Rolling Stone, rollingstone.com. November 3rd, 2006. Can Dr. Evil save the world? Forget about a future filled with wind farms and hydrogen cars. The Pentagon's top weaponeer says he has a radical solution that would stop global warming now, no matter how much oil we burn. The article is about Lowell Wood, the protege of Edward Teller, who is, of course, the father of the hydrogen bomb and helped with the Star Wars missile defense system during the Reagan era. And the article reads in part, quote, because of the classified nature of his work, Wood is reluctant to talk about his personal life beyond the fact that he's married and has a teenage daughter, who, not surprisingly, is a math prodigy. He discusses his government research only in person, or on secure phones or faxes, never via email. Although he sometimes works as a corporate consultant, money clearly isn't of much interest to him. He drives a dusty, sagging Toyota 4Runner. He goes out of his way to make the point that all of the work he has done on geoengineering has been on his own time, not at taxpayer expense. That may be true, but as Wood knows, climate engineering has often been little more than an extension of weapons research. In the 1940s, the discovery that seeding clouds with silver iodide crystals would create rain led American military strategists to dream of someday fighting wars with hurricanes and thunderstorms. During the Vietnam War, the U.S. military used cloud seeding in an attempt to increase rainfall over the Ho Chi Minh Trail, a secret program that prompted the United Nations to ban environmental modification techniques as weapons. Wood considers the issue moot. As a tool of warfare, he says, weather modification has been a complete failure. But that hasn't stopped conspiracy theorists from believing that the government is secretly tinkering with the weather. Type the word chemtrails into Google, and you'll get about 814,000 hits, most of them linked to the websites of people who insist that the New World Order began spraying the atmosphere with particles years ago in a massive campaign to mask the devastating effects of global warming. Evidence of this stealth campaign, they say, can be seen in the contrails of jets, which are actually chemtrails dumping polymer aerosols into the sky to reflect sunlight and cool the planet. According to chemi conspiracists, Millions of people are being poisoned from the barium and aluminum in these aerosols as they invisibly rain down on our heads. When I ask Wood about this, he looks deeply amused. A secret government conspiracy? One of the remarkable things I've learned about working with the government is that there are no secrets. It's all out there. You just have to know where to look. No secrets, I ask? Well, he admits, maybe five or six. End quote.
Now that's a well-crafted piece of propaganda right there, and I guess I can only really object to the fact that he believes that the people who have those websites insisting that the New World Order is spraying the atmosphere with particles in order to mask the effects of global warming, well, I for one don't think that that's the reason that the New World Order is lacing our sky with toxic heavy metals. But perhaps that's a minor quibble. Well, actually, I think that this uh, Lowell Wood is probably right. It's not a secret, and there is no conspiracy. It's all out there, and you just have to know where to look. So let's find out where to look. Let's turn to a children's textbook. This information comes from a website called chemtrails911.com. Quote, in the Level 1 science book, Essential Interactions by Centerpoint Learning, Inc., a photo of a jet is titled Particle Air and is followed with could we deliberately add particles to the atmosphere? Jet engines running on richer fuel would add particles to the atmosphere to create a sunscreen. This is in the section titled Solutions for Global Warming. The following is from a concerned citizen. Hmm. Well, I see they're teaching my children about chemtrails and geoengineering the Earth in their 7th grade class. Those adults who still have any questions about the spray programs should perhaps just ask their kids. Though I try and stay on top of what my children are learning, this was the first time I saw this section of the Centerpoint Learning Science 1 Essential Interactions Science book. Be real interesting to see the politics of the folks putting this out. From the 5.19 section of Solutions for Global Warming, I learned the following right next to a picture of a commercial-looking jet plane with orange-red paint on the upper half, familiar, and a logo saying, Particle Air. I kid you not. Figure 1. Jet engines running on richer fuel would add particles to the atmosphere to create a sunscreen. Well, why did I spend all of that time doing research when I could have just asked my kids? End quote. Yes, indeed, and if this is already in mainstream science textbooks about how it would be a great idea and a wonderful concept and how people are already starting to think about it, why then is it still being denied in the controlled corporate media? Tonight, a community in the San Bernardino Mountains has a real mystery on its hands. The official explanation here is that jet contrails are causing strange lines in the sky and that it's pollen making people sick on the ground. But others are convinced it is something else. And they ask, is the government experimenting with our weather? There was a huge dust cloud. Longtime Cedar Glen resident Gretchen Sherman says she has never seen anything like it. Yes. Big was Oh, it covered the entire Cedar Glen area. A cloud of dust, leaving a sticky yellow slime all over her car. It happened again last February, and calls began pouring into the local Alpenhorn newspaper. And they had a tremendous upsurge of children that were not going to school at that time. Pharmacist Ed Burroughs says it is the most mysterious illness he's seen in 22 years on the mountain. A lot of eye infection problems, resp upper respiratory problems, uh, nosebleeds. And nearby March Air Force Base say it didn't come from them. Others said it was a pollen cloud. The Department of Health found a yellowish tint on a tissue submitted for testing. But, quote, there was no sign of any biological form, such as cedar pollen, and the test was ruled inconclusive. And it wasn't long before things ballooned into a sky-high mystery. The story is not just here in Crestline in the alleged yellow cloud. People say the government is up there in airplanes spraying all kinds of chemicals to change or manipulate the weather leaving what you see there, and they call that a chemtrail. So what I look at there and I think are contrails, you're telling me are chemtrails. Yes, that a contrail would be dissipated by now. It would? Yes, it would. Chemtrails. On the Internet, they are cited as proof of the government creating clouds to combat global warming. In response, the Air Force says that, quote, there is no such thing as a chemtrail. The actual contrails are a safe and natural phenomenon. And that people are seeing more contrails simply because there are more jets forming large clouds, depending on weather conditions, as in this video of alleged chemtrails shot near San Francisco. I think these are contrails. Professor Gregory Benford of UC Irvine works with the Department of Energy on weather research. That's very odd. They, they could be very large contrails. He says the DOE doesn't know of any jet spraying chemicals to affect the weather. However, he says, we will probably see it in the near future. You've got to, in a sense, engineer all these, so you get the right kind of clouds for the effects we want. It is called geoengineering, fighting global warming by putting a chemical dust in the atmosphere and reflecting harmful radiation back into space. 
You could use barium oxide, for example, uh, which makes big fluffy clouds. You could use tiny little bits of aluminum, which is benign in the environment, and essentially manage the climate. And what I found was unusual spiking since the early 1990s in barium, aluminum. But Rosalind Peterson of California Skywatch says health department records show a sharp increase in both chemicals in the water supply of Northern California, dating from the time the huge contrails first appeared over her home in Mendocino County. What's the significance of the barium and the aluminum? I went and got all the tests, and all these things in the same test would be up way over state and federal standards. It had to be airborne, because how could it get to such diverse regions of our county? We have jets going in every direction. X's, east, west, north, south, circles. There is something going on in the air. I don't know exactly what, but I think there's some experimentation. Is it legal? I don't know, because we haven't had a public discussion. But what is unknown today may be actual fact tomorrow, thanks to a bill soon to be voted on in the U.S. Senate, a Weather Modification Act, calling for research in, quote, attempting to change or control by artificial methods the natural development of atmospheric cloud forms. Doesn't it seem to you that they're going to be doing it in the future for sure? Yes. And if they are, I want to know about it. In the meantime, a lot of people are wondering if they'll ever get clear skies and a clear answer. The legislation is there, therefore somebody's thinking about this. How does this make sense? I don't know, maybe over, they're practicing? Over Cedar Glen, <laughs> over, over, over Arrowhead. Uh, I guess you have to try it out before you use it. Um, I'm not sure. Well, you be the judge. We'll keep you posted on anything further on the story, and there will be more, that's for sure. More information on the weather modification proposals, check on our website, NBC4.tv. I encourage my listeners to go back and listen to that report once again, because it's a classic example of how psychological operations are run on the public. When confronted by something that they don't want you to know, they will first, of course, deny its existence and ridicule anyone who claims that it exists, even if you can see the evidence of that thing's existence with your own eyes. After denying the existence and ridiculing anyone who sees its existence, they will then and only then, implant the idea that, well, wouldn't it be a good thing after all if it was true? You can see this in the creation of the story about chemtrails. They're not true, you're crazy if you see them, it's just condensation trails. But, well, you know, I mean, we do have this global warming that is, of course, caused by that vile life-giving gas CO2, so wouldn't it be a great thing if we could put up a sunscreen to shield us from the rays of the sun? Which, of course, is what actually drives climate. You'll see this, as I say, again and again and again with so many misinformation operations that it's part of their psychological playbook, guaranteed. You'll see this with the North American Union, deny, 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 but wouldn't it be good? And the NAFTA superhighway, deny, 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 but wouldn't it be good? Even 9-11 inside job. Of course, we've already looked at rebuilding America's defenses, which called for a 9-11 event before 9-11 happened. And of course, we have that case last year of a nationally syndicated neocon op-ed writer who wrote that op-ed about how 9-11 was actually a good thing and that we need another large-scale terrorist cataclysm to bring about that type of unity in the country once again. So yes, 9-11 was a good thing, but no, we didn't make it happen, honest. Deny, 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 but wouldn't it be good? Keep that in mind, that is a key piece of this psychological operations puzzle. But to get back to the main point... The operations are being carried out against you and your family right now. This is an info war, and they are assailing you right now, and they are trying to tell you that anyone who's telling you differently is crazy. They cannot be right. Don't look at the evidence. Don't look at the documents. Don't listen to what they have to say. They're wrong, they're wrong, they're wrong. Well, as always, I simply encourage you to do your own research into this subject. A good place to start would be In Lies We Trust, that video which we played excerpts from earlier today. This is not a joke. This is not a game. We are in a quiet war. We are being hit with silent weapons. Will you educate yourself about how to defend yourself from these attacks? Alex, take us out. And I want you cops who are listening laughing right now. God forbid I tried to stop it, but when your 20-year-old son or daughter is dying of a rare brain tumor connected totally to the different viruses they've been caught putting in every major vaccine that's been studied. When you're there and your son takes that 
Uh, you hear that death rattle? You ever been in a room when somebody dies? I've been in a room multiple times. I want you to remember that you didn't listen to me because it was too good to be in a power position. It was too good to rationalize and make excuses about who you work for. Oh, I hate your guts, you cowards out there who can't admit what we've become. Get real! All the scumbag, cowardly patriots who think this is all a game being a patriot. The other talk show hosting people, you get your head screwed on straight too. Realize how serious this is, you little cowards. I'm gonna leave you. That's it for this week's episode. I am your host, James Corbett, encouraging you once again to go to wearechange.org and donate to the Legal Defense Fund in the pursuit of liberty and freedom. Join me again next week for another edition of the Corbett Report. Blue skies smiling at me Nothing but blue skies Do I see Saw the sun shining so bright, never saw things going so right. Noticing the days hurrying by, when you're in love, my how they fly.